be turning to Psalm 123, Psalm 123. As we are beginning this, this new year, new decade, we are spending this month of January during Sunday mornings in what are called the Psalms of Ascent. And the reason, I explained to you last week, the reason that they are called Psalms of Ascent is because they were, they were sung uh, by the Jews as they were traveling to Jerusalem, and no matter which direction they were coming from, as they, in, they neared the city of Jerusalem, they traveled up, because Jerusalem is set up on a hill, and so they were literally ascending. And so last week, uh, we looked at Psalm 121. Now these begin in Psalm 120, and they go through Psalm 134, but last week we, we looked at Psalm 121. Today, Psalm 123, and then next week, Psalm 124, and then the final Sunday of January, we'll look at 126. And we also said that we're not just doing this because of the new year and because of, of the, the new decade, but also these are to prepare our hearts for revival that will begin on the first Sunday of February. And so I hope that, that as you allow, allow the Word of God to speak to you as we spend time together in these Psalms, that God will not, that we'll see these not just in their ascension. Uh, of the of the people to Jerusalem, but our hearts will ascend to the places of God and the things of God, and He will cause us to sit in those heavenly places together. Well, last week we talked about the Lord being our keeper, and today we're going to talk about a Christ-centered focus, and that our focus in this life is to be Jesus Christ. Now, here's how these these two things are related. And how these two psalms tie together. While we know, and we made the point last week, that, that God keeps His redeemed now and forever. Right? We, we don't have to worry about whether or not God keeps His redeemed. We are kept by the Lord. Yet, the question that we want to think about this morning is, how does that look in our lives? How is that manifested? In those of us who are in Christ, for those of us who are saved, for those of us who are the redeemed that are being kept, how is that shown in us? And, and simply stated, it is shown in us through a Christ-centered focus. That Jesus is what everything in our life revolves around. And that is the case for the believer. Remember what Paul told the Colossians in the very first chapter he was talking about Christ and, and all the things that Christ is. And he used this word that he is preeminent. He has the preeminence. And what he meant by that is he is top priority. He is, he is to be first place in our life. And so everything that we do centers on Jesus. And so here's, here's your sermon in a sentence this morning that we're going to see from the text of Psalm 123. And that is keep looking up. To the Lord who keeps you and provides what you need. Keep looking up to the Lord who keeps you and provides what you need. I'm going to ask you to stand as we read again just four verses that comprise the entire psalm, Psalm 123. Unto thee lift I up mine eyes. O thou that dwellest in the heavens, behold... As the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters, 
and the, as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress. So our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until that he have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorning of those that are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and for the truth of this text this morning. And Father, how challenging it is for those of us who are your children. Because God, we fail greatly every day. And we know that. We confess that to you this morning. We are sinners. And our only hope this morning is grace. And so Father, help us to see this morning where our focus is to be as you're redeemed. We thank you that that you've shown us through your word that you keep us now and forever. But Father, help us to see now what that means for us as your children, as we live our lives, as we travel as pilgrims and strangers in this foreign land. Lord, help us to focus on Christ and Christ alone. May you be the center of all things. May we say with Peter, where else could we go? Because you contain the words of life. And Father, we pray again for those here this morning that don't know you. Those who are placing their faith and their trust somewhere else. Father, we pray that you bring them to the realization of their lost condition. And they would see that their only hope is, is Christ. We love you and we praise you. May you be exalted in your word this morning. Father, I can't. I can't do this. So I'm relying upon you. Because I know you can. And it's in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. The Apostle Paul makes quite an amazing statement to the church at Corinth. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And he begins verse 17 with these words. For our light affliction. Now, stop right there for just a second. He has told us earlier in this chapter of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that he has been troubled on every side. He's been perplexed. He's been cast down. He's been persecuted. How in the world can Paul say, for our light affliction? And then he says this, which is but for a moment. Really, for a moment, Paul? This man faced this light affliction from the moment he trusted Christ until literally his head was severed from his body for preaching the truth. And here he is saying, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, really? Worketh for us a far more 
exceeding and eternal weight of glory? How in the world could he make such a statement? I, I mean, you, you understand at least a little bit, don't you, of what Paul went through? And he's here talking about a light affliction which was very brief and the good that it was for him? How? How could Paul make such a statement? Well, it gives the answer in verse 18. Because the answer is where his eyes were. His answer is to whom he lifted up his eyes. Because he says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen, well, what are the things which are seen? Well, that's the trouble. That's the perplexing. That's the persecution. That's the being cast down. He said, I don't look at those things. Because the things which are seen are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. You see, the reason Paul could go through all that he went through and make a statement referring to his light afflictions and the fact that they were but for just a moment, the only reason is because his focus was on eternity. His focus was on Christ. His focus was on his Lord. It was not on the things around him. It was not on the circumstances. And so let me ask you this morning, where are your eyes? What are you looking at? Are you focused on the temporal things around you? Are you focused on your afflictions and your trials and your struggles? All of those things that you remember we said last week are the ordinary part of the life of a child of God? Jesus told us they were going to be there. Did he not? And so where are your eyes? Are you focused on your circumstance? Are you focused on your enemy? Or are you focused on your eternal Lord? You see, while God keeps His redeemed now and forever, that shows up in our life through, through, through a life that is totally focused on Christ. Focused on Him. He's the center. He's the priority. He's the preeminent one. He is the Lord. And so, the challenge for us in the text this morning is to keep looking to the Lord. To the Lord who keeps us, yes, but also to the Lord who provides everything we need. And that's going to be key as we move through the text. We're going to see two truths this morning. Man, I'm letting you all off. This two Sundays in a row, just two points, right? right hold, hold on, we got several sub-points this morning, okay? But two truths, and we're going to see that one is stated in the positive and one is stated in the negative. So truth number one. The blessing of a proper focus. The blessing of a proper focus. You've all heard what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 12. He's talking about running our race, living this life, and, 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 and putting aside the, the things that slow us down and the sins that beset us. And then he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. 
And we know that that is the idea of just fixing our gaze on him like a runner that's running a race. He fixes his gaze on the finish line. And we, as we live this life, we must have our focus on Christ. Just like that runner is looking, can't look behind him, can't look around him, or else he'll fall, right? And so he focuses on the finish line. He focuses where he's headed. He focuses on the prize, on the goal. And that's how we are to focus our lives as well. Let's notice what the psalmist says about this focus. First, he tells us who we look to. Now, I said last week, and we know this is so true, that there are so many things that are wanting our eyes' attention. They're, the billboards are everywhere, are they not? We live in a media-saturated world. And that media is not just the commercials that we see when we're trying to watch our favorite television program. I mean, shoot, we're, 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 we live in the social media age. You've got Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat and Instagram and TikTok. Have y'all heard of that one? Yeah, you young guys, I see y'all smiling. Y'all know what that is. Yeah, not pointing fingers this morning. But the point is, is that there's so much that, that wants our eyes. And before, before you older people look at you younger people and point a finger about that social media, y'all are there too. <laughs> Don't think it's just the younger generation. But, but my point is that there's so much that is vying for the attention of our eyes. And yet the psalmist says where our true focus must be. Verse 1, unto thee I lift I up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. There can be no other focus for the life of the believer than the God who is in heaven. He is to be our focus. Now, let me just make this, this clarification here. You understand that God is not limited to being in heaven. In fact, Solomon said in his, in his prayer when he's dedicating the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house have I builded? And Jesus said in John 4, when he was speaking to the woman at the well, but the hour cometh and now is the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Why? He says in verse 24, because God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so while God is omniscient, he knows all, he's omnipotent, he's everywhere, he's not limited to just being in heaven, right? Yet the psalmist makes this distinction. And he refers to him as the one who dwells, who is seated, who is enthroned in the heavens. And the idea is that he's highlighting his majesty, his splendor, the fact that he is God. If you were here Wednesday night, it's the same thing we heard Paul say in Ephesians 4. 
that he is above all. He's above all. And so let me ask you again, where's your focus? The psalmist said, he lifts his eyes to the one who's enthroned, who dwells in heaven. Are you looking to the Lord your God, or is your focus on the gods with a little g of this world? With all of the things that are cast before us every single day. You say, well, how do I know where my focus is? Well, let me just say this. We often hear many people say that you can tell what someone's priority is if you look at their checkbook. And yeah, that's probably true. But I think it would be even more accurate if you'd say, you know what somebody's priority is, is to where they spend the most time. Where, where do you spend the focus of your time? Where do you spend most of your time every day? Where's your focus? Is it on the things of this world? Or is it on the one true living God? Does your life manifest a life that is centered around Christ? Who do we look to? Well, we, we look to Christ. Secondly, in this positive, this blessing of the, the proper view is how do we look at Him? How do we look at Him? Now, this is very important. Very important. Because how we look to God matters. And how we view God and look at God matters. Because look at me, church. We are His servants. He is not ours. He is God. We are not. He is sovereign king. We are not. And so, the psalmist says this in verse 2. Behold, as the eyes of servants look unto the hands of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden, which is just a female servant, unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until that He have mercy upon us. How does a servant look to the hand of his master? How does a, a maiden, a female servant, to the, to the hand of her mistress, how, how do they look to the hand of those who are over them? Well, Matthew Henry gave six things in his commentary, and, and I absolutely by no means could improve upon them, so I'm just going to read to you the six things he said about how a servant looks to their master and how we are to look to the hand of our Lord. Number one, he says we are to look to it as a directory hand. And what he means by that is to give us instruction, to give us direction, to tell us what to do. A servant looks to his master for instruction. Secondly, a supplying hand to give us all that we need. Thirdly, an assisting hand. Because when we think about living this life, this Christian life, we have to say with Paul, who is sufficient for these things? Who can do it? We can't. Yet in our weakness, he's strong. So he assists us. Number four, he said we look to him, his hand as a protecting hand. As we saw last week, he keeps his redeemed. You thankful for that this morning?
He keeps his redeemed now and forever. Number five, a correcting hand. The writer of Hebrews says that if you can sin and you don't get corrected for it, you're a bastard, not a son. You're none of his. He corrects his children. And then number six, a rewarding hand. Well, there's always a reward in the hand of the Redeemer for his redeemed. Can I tell you this? Look at me. Just being his child is reward enough. Just being his child is reward enough. The fact that he would grant you grace, that's reward enough. But he didn't just do that. You know what else he gifted us? He gifted us his word. He gifted us such a deep well of things that we can use to get to know him that we could never begin to scratch the surface. And then we sit back and say, oh, I wish God would speak. He has spoken. You want God to speak? Read the Bible. He'll speak. It's his word. And I promise you, you can never in this life gain the knowledge that it contains fully. Cannot. It's a rewarding hand. And we know that our, our great reward, our great inheritance is still yet awaiting. But here's the point. Of all of those things that Matthew Henry listed, that we look to the hand of the Lord for, here's the point. That is that we look to the hand of God completely Utterly dependent upon him. Fully trusting. Fully relying upon him. And him alone. For what we need. Who do we look to? We look to Christ. How do we look to him? Like a servant looks to his master. Fully dependent. And the third. Part of this blessing of a proper view is what do we look to him for you say well you just told us didn't you what we look to him for direction supply assistance protection correction reward those six things yes but what are those all a product of well the psalmist tells us the end of verse two and verse three so our eyes wait upon the lord our god until he have mercy upon us Have mercy upon us. Oh Lord, have mercy upon us. Look at me. The one thing that we all need above everything else is mercy. It's the one thing we need above everything else. In fact, so important, the psalmist repeated it three times. Three times. The end of verse 2, have mercy upon us. Verse 3, have mercy upon us. Oh Lord, have mercy upon us. And so that repetition tells us that it is a desperate need. Did you know that the Lord did not owe this psalmist anything? He didn't owe him anything. And did you know that the Lord owes you nothing? Nothing. And so if you have anything, it's mercy. It's mercy. We're so desperate for mercy this morning. 
You think you need money? You think you need a car? You think you need a house? You think you need a husband or a wife? You think you need, 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 need? No, all we really need is mercy. Because if everything else was taken away, I mean literally everything, if everything else was taken away and we still had God's mercy, we've got everything. Everything. Desperate. But not only does the repetition show our desperate need of mercy, it also shows our urgent need of mercy. You know what you need right now? You don't need it later. You need it right now. You need mercy. Again, you think of all this stuff that... I'm going to be honest with y'all. When it comes to something I think I want, I am very, very impatient. Am I not? When I think I want it, I think I got to have it right then. And I won't stop till I get it. Is that a man thing? I think that's why there's such a difference in how we shop and how women shop. Because when women shop, they'll walk into store and they'll walk around, walk around, look at everything in the store and come out with nothing. And when I shop, I know what I want, I go in and get it and I leave. Right? I think that's because of this whole thing of thinking I got to have it right now. I don't care about looking at other stuff. I know what I want and I'm going to get it right now. But the fact of the matter is the only thing I need right now is mercy. And this morning, please listen to me. If you're lost, if you don't know Christ, you need mercy right now. You don't need to wait. You don't need to put it off. Trust Christ now. Repent and believe the gospel now. He's, listen, he's given you grace through his son, Jesus Christ, who we've talked about for months and months, that hung on a cross and gave his life. So that you could be saved. And you need it right now. You don't know why? Because you don't know that tomorrow is even coming. You don't know if this afternoon's even coming. You don't know if the end of this sermon is coming. It's an urgent, urgent need. So this morning, if you don't know Christ, please, please see your desperate and urgent condition. Your urgent need of God's mercy that He's given through Christ. So we look to the Lord of heaven fully dependent upon Him to give us the mercy that we desperately need. Let me tell you something. That describes a Christ-focused life. That describes a life that is focused fully on Jesus Christ. That we're looking to Him we're just constantly looking to Him because we know He provides mercy. He doesn't know it to us, but aren't you thankful He graciously gives it to us? Keep looking up to the Lord who keeps you and provides what you need. That's the positive, the blessing of a proper focus. But notice this stated in the negative and the remainder of the psalm, and that is the danger of a skewed view. You know, going to, the, going to the eye doctor can be amazing. In fact, the last time I went to the eye doctor, I knew that my vision had, <clears throat> had dec- 
decreased or diminished or deteriorated, however you want to say it. And I know you knew that my vision had deteriorated because y'all saw me trying reading glasses and everything else, trying to figure out what was going on with my eyes. But when I went to the eye doctor and he gave me my new prescription, he told me, he said, you're going to hate these glasses when you put them on. You're going to hate them. The reason he knew I was going to hate them is because I'm making confession before you, my church family, I'm wearing trifocals. But he said, you're going to hate them. But you know what? When I put these glasses on, I immediately loved them. You want to know why? Because I could see. I did not realize how bad my vision had deteriorated. I did not realize until I saw clearly how skewed my view had been. And that's the way life is spiritually as well. You don't realize how skewed your view is until you see things clearly. Until you have a proper focus. And the psalmist talks about some things that we'll see if we let our eyes drift down off of the Lord who dwells in the heavens. If we let our eyes begin to slip down off of Christ and look at our circumstances and the things around us and the problems and the trials of this world, there's a danger there. And we see it in verses 3 and 4. Let's read them. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorning of those who are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. You see, as our eyes, if they shift downward, if they, if they drift downward from the Lord to the things of this world, you know what danger that we're going to see? We're going to see that Satan and this world is completely and totally against Christ. And do you know what that means for us? That means he's against us too. And if we let our eyes drift off of our Savior, that's what we see. That's what we begin to focus on. And there's a danger there. And here's why it's dangerous. He tells us, first of all, that they're overwhelming. They're overwhelming. He uses the words to describe these things if we let our eyes slip down. The word filled. Now, it's the idea of being saturated. So it's more than just being like filled to the top. It's being filled through and through. I, I, my mind goes to like a sponge that's just filled up totally. But he even goes farther than that and uses another word that's not just filled, not just saturated, but exceedingly filled, abundantly filled, over and above. Like a sponge soaking up dirty water and that dirty water just overflowing it. And can I tell you something? We know that to be true, don't we? Our eyes drift off of our Lord and we begin to look at our circumstances and we will be overwhelmed by them. We begin to look at all the things that people say and do against our Christ. You watch the news these days 
and you will be overwhelmed. You will be exceedingly filled with the evil of this world. Will you not? They're over, it's overwhelming. But not only does he say that there's a danger in letting our eyes slip because the things of this world are overwhelming, he also says that the things of this world, well, they hurt. What were they exceedingly filled with? Verse 3, he says contempt. And then verse 4, he kind of clarifies it and using the word contempt again. But he's saying that they're exceedingly filled with the scorning, and that is the mocking, people deriding them. And their contempt, those that are at ease, those who seem to not be having any problems, and the proud, the people of this world. You see, these, these strong statements about being exceedingly filled of people scorning and mocking and deriding, that, that leads me to believe that this psalm had to have been, been written back during, or at least at the end of, the Babylonian captivity. Because the words coincide so well with something that's said in Nehemiah chapter 2. And in Nehemiah chapter 2... They've been given permission, Nehemiah has by the king, to go back to Jerusalem and to begin, to begin to rebuild the walls that have been torn down. And in verse 18, Nehemiah is speaking to the, to the remnant and those who have come back. And he says, Then I told them of the hand of my God which was good upon me, as also the king's words that, that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let's rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Now watch this. Verse 19, but Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it. Here's where I say those words coincide so well. They laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? You see, Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, these guys fit what the psalmist is saying to a T. But here's the point for us this morning. There's always going to be opposition to God's work. Always. Until the Lord destroys this world and all the evil that's in it, as long as we're here in this life, there is going to be opposition. There's always going to be those against us. But we must not let the enemy be the focus of our lives. I'm afraid a lot of people have gotten their focus off of Christ and onto the enemy. And while they may have good intentions, our focus is to be on Christ, not the enemy. Not only that, but again, remember Jesus told us that we will suffer tribulations. We will suffer trials. We will suffer troubles. They're going to be here, but they must not be the focus of our lives. We often worship at the, at the altar of these things. We worship at the altar of our troubles and our trials because we spend more time focusing on them than we do on Christ. But ladies and gentlemen, we're to worship at the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. Because that's where our focus is to be. We've got to look to Jesus every day for the mercy that only He provides.
Because if we don't, we will end up overwhelmed and hurt by the things of this world. And can I tell you something? These overwhelming and these hurtful things, they will ruin you. You don't know why I say that? Look at me. Because they will have no mercy. No mercy. So our only hope, our only hope is to focus on Jesus. And so I beg you this morning, I beseech you, as Paul would say, keep your focus on Christ. Keep looking up to the Lord who keeps you and provides what you need. But let me, let me say this in closing. You may be asking, preacher, that all sounds good and great. I know that my focus should be Christ. I know that I should not focus on my circumstances. But I'm already there. I'm overwhelmed and I've been hurt. What do I do? Well, let me remind you of, of an account in Mark chapter 4. Jesus' disciples are in a boat. And they're crossing the Sea of Galilee and Jesus is in the boat sleeping. And y'all know what happens next, right? Storm blows up. And they begin to try to dip water out of the boat and everything they know to do. And, and some of these guys are, are professional fishermen. Sitting their first time on the lake, they know how to handle a storm, but they were overwhelmed and they feared for their lives. And so what do they do? Well, they run down to Jesus, right? And they wake him up and they ask him this question. Jesus, don't you care that we're about to die? Don't you even care? That we're all about to die in this storm. I mean, you've made us all these promises and you've talked about this great kingdom and now it's all going to end on the Sea of Galilee where we're going to die? And you know what Jesus did? He rebuked them. Where's your faith? Oh, ye of little faith, He rebuked them for their lack of faith. And then he calmed the storm. Now, here's the good news of that account for us this morning. Those disciples had with them in the boat God the Son. They had the very Messiah, Jesus Christ, in the boat with them. And they panicked. And they were overwhelmed because they were afraid they were going to get hurt. And so when they run to Jesus and they wake him up, Jesus did not turn them away. He didn't say, Away with you guys, you've failed the test, you've blown it, I'm not going to have anything else to do with you. Is that what he said? No. 
He rebuked their lack of faith. Yes, he did. But he spoke peace. Listen to me this morning. If you're at a place where you feel like you've blown it, you're overwhelmed and you're hurt by the circumstances around you, you've gotten your eyes off of Christ and you're focused on the God's little G of this world, just come to Jesus. He won't, he won't turn you away. He's not going to tell you, you've blown it and I'm having nothing else to do with you. That's not at all what our loving, merciful, gracious Lord will do for you. But rather, He'll rebuke you and maybe that's what He's doing through His Word right now. <laughs> he'll rebuke you, He'll chastise you, remember it's that corrective hand. But He'll speak peace. I didn't say he would take away your problems, but he'll speak peace to your heart. And you can fix your eyes on him once again. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. And let me, let me challenge you, believer. If you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you've trusted Christ, you know that you're saved. Then let me just encourage you to keep looking up. Keep Christ the focus of your life in everything you do. Every minute of every day, focused on Him. Totally depending upon Him to provide what you need. Because what you need is mercy. But again, maybe you say, well, preacher, I know that, but I've blown it. I've gotten my eyes off of Christ and on things of this world. Well, listen to me. Just run to Jesus. Just bring Him those cares. Bring Him those problems. And He'll speak peace to your heart this morning if you'll, if you'll bring it to Him. And this morning, if you don't know Christ, let me say to you again, if you're lost, and you urgently and you desperately need this mercy. Your only hope is in Jesus. And I beg you right now where you sit to repent and believe the gospel. To trust Christ.